Our key scripture, which we're not going to go back and, and read, is back in Matthew 24, where Jesus is talking to the disciples about the end times and what's going to happen in the end. And the Bible tells us enough about the end times. Let me put it another way. The Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot. If you read the book of Revelation, which you should read, you can get confused reading that book. You can get scared reading that book. And this is why I don't teach very much out of it, because I can't, I'm not certain that I understand enough of it to be able to teach you something categorically that I believe is true. So, uh, but that doesn't mean I won't get into it from time to time, or maybe do it down the road if I feel the Lord leads me to do that. But, but and, and we'll say, why is that? I mean, I'm the kind of, my mind works, I want to have everything laid out, uh, you know, I'm a, my lawyer, my training is as a lawyer, so I would be able to go and find in the statutes exactly where, what I needed, and then be able to interpret and use it as a lawyer. But God's Word is not written that way. It's written by the Spirit and is to be communicated by revelation. And as I just prayed, God is a speaking God. And so God is speaking to us. So I believe sometimes the reason God doesn't just lay everything out is because, well, one of the things He told me, He says, he said, I want you to dig deeper. The more you, there's some scriptures that the first time I read them, I thought I understood. In fact, some of these I've read hundreds and hundreds of times, and I'll just discover some new meaning in them now because it's alive. The Word of God is alive. It's not just these written, it's not just this type on the page of your Bible or that imprint or whatever it is on your digital device. It's the living Word of God. It's God speaking to us. And this today we desperately need to hear what God is saying to us. So in Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about the end times. He talks about, you know, basically he says, nobody knows when the Son of God's coming back. And in other places he says, even the Son of God doesn't know. So he's not telling us about the end times so we can speculate, when's he coming back? Because he's not telling us. The reason he tells us the information he does, he makes clear, is so we're ready. Because he uses the example, he said, if, if, if the head of the household knew that a thief was going to break in tonight, he wouldn't go to sleep. He'd have all the lights on, he'd have his gun, well, not, in, not around here, but in Texas they'd have his gun ready, because if they're going to come in, boom, I'm going to be ready. And what Jesus is telling us, be ready. You don't know when he's coming, but be ready. What we can do is be ready. So we've been talking about what does it mean to be ready, because we know this much. His coming back is a lot sooner than when Jesus said those words over 2,000 years ago. It may be today, it may be during our lifetime, I have a sense it is, but that's just my sense. That doesn't mean that I've heard anything from God, and if I thought I did, it wouldn't be right, because it's against what the Word of God says. So, so but we're, we need to be ready. So we looked at the most important thing to be ready is to be ready. Do you know which way you're going? You're going up or down. It's that simple. You're going to heaven or hell, because both of them are eternity. And you get to choose. And we laid out again, we will before the end of this service, what the requirement is to go to heaven, and the default position is hell. Yes. Are, now with computers, you understand what a default position is? If you don't make a change, it goes to the, what the system set up. Well, this isn't the system God set up. This is the system Satan set up. So if you're not in the kingdom of God, you're going to hell when you die. It's just that simple. I can't make it any clearer, any simpler. And we talked about that. But beyond that, assuming we're talking to people that are in the body of Christ today, there are other things we need to do to be ready. And we talked about the most important thing is your heart towards God. And we used the example uh, of, the tw- of the ten virgins, the ten young ladies, <laughs> who were waiting for the bridegroom to come. And five of them were wise and five of them were unwise. The five that were wise were ready. And what made them ready is they had enough oil 
so that when, when the bridegroom did come, their light could shine strong. And we represent that oil represents the, not just the anointing of the Spirit of God, but His presence in your life. It's what, it's what fuels the flame, and what fuels our flame of our passion towards God is our love for Him, our heart for Him. So we spent several weeks talking about the condition of our heart and what the Bible talks about that heart. You can get everything else wrong, but if your heart is right towards God, if you love Him with all your heart, all those other things will get covered because love covers a multitude of sins. So we've talked about all that. And then we talked about, uh, last week we talked about being ready to give an account because we discovered the Bible says just because you go to heaven doesn't mean, you know, it's not an all or nothing proposition. It is to get in. But once you're there, there's an accounting we're going to have to give. And that's accounting is not for the purpose of whether God loves you or doesn't love you. That accounting is not for the purpose of whether you stay in heaven or don't stay in heaven. It's for determination of rewards. And so the rewards that are going to be given out. And it's so important to understand because so many times Christians' whole view is to make it there. Yes. And Pastor Sam used to say, some of you are going to make it and the smoke is still burning on the back of your coat as you made it and go, whoo, I made it. But that's not the goal. The goal is to make it and have done what God put you here to do because once you've made it and realized, whew, I made it, now you've got to turn around and face eternity there with what you did here. You've got to face eternity. So if your whole goal is just to make it there, that's great. But once you're there, now you've got eternity to look back and say, but I didn't do anything with what I had, the opportunities that I had. And we talked about that. We're going to stand before Him and He's going to give a judgment for whether what we did in our body, good or bad. And that word good, bad means useless. It doesn't mean sin. It means useless. It didn't do anything. And good means it was valuable and productive. And then we talked about the example of the parable of the talents, which doesn't refer to whether you can sing or not, although that's one of them. It refers to the opportunities that God gives us to each according to His ability. So we talked about that last week. So we're going to look at the final thing I believe that we're going to talk about in Luke chapter 18. Now, and before we start reading down, I want to tell you, because again, these were not written in chapters and verses. This is, a, this is one continuous discussion. And what he's been talking about here is what's going to happen. Back in verse 20, we're not going to turn there, but back in verse 20, he's addressing the Pharisees, and they're saying, would you tell us when the kingdom of God's going to come? And he basically says, the kingdom of God's not out there, it's in here. So we sing songs about, you know, Jesus come, and, but, but He's come in here. Now, He's physically coming back for His church, but the kingdom of God is in you if you're a Christian. It's not hanging up in heaven. That's another reality up there, but the kingdom of God is another... I don't want to get into this because <laughs> I'll get distracted. It's another dimension. It's not a physical place. It's another dimension, and I've already gone... I, don't, I can't go there. Okay. Come on, John. Let's move on. That's what he was explaining to the Pharisees. Then when he talks to his own disciples, he talks to them about, about what's going to happen. He says, when the Son of Man comes back, you've got to be ready. He says, because what's going to happen is when he comes back, he says, those of you that are on the rooftop and your, 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 your good suits downstairs and your, you know, your gold watches downstairs, don't wait to go down and get them because when, you, when it's time to go, you're going. You don't have time to go back and collect things. And the message there is don't hold on to things in this life so dearly that you can't let go of them to go to heaven. Because if, if you hold on to them too tightly, 
they'll get a hold of you too tightly. And the question is, if you had to, if Jesus appeared right now, stood right here and says, all right, let's go. Do you have things at home you'd want to go home and get and bring with you? Some people may, because they have such a hold. The rich young ruler was like that. He had an opportunity to come and to follow Jesus. He said, what, what can I do? And he had an invitation that others didn't get. Some of them asked for it. He says, no, you've got to go do something else. But he said, come follow me. But all you've got to do is go back and sell all that you have, distribute it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And the rich young ruler walked away. Why? Because those things had too much of a place in his heart more than Jesus did. And we look at that and say, how could he do that? But if Jesus came back today, there may be some that want to hold on to stuff here and don't let anything here. This is only temporary. We're going to talk a little bit about that once we get into the message. <laughs> okay. And he says, you know, during this time they married and they gave, they planted and, you know, and, and life goes on. And because they did their normal routines, they get up, they go to work on Monday morning, they have lunch, they go to home, they, you know, pay their bills and do all that. We assume that's going to always go on the way it's always going on, but it's not. And he uses Lot as an example because God came to rescue Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah and they thought everything was going to go on the way it was. And when soon as God got Lot out of there, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Now he's not going to destroy us that way. But he got the point is, is that, that they weren't ready. And then he warns about Lot's wife. Remember her? Because he said, whatever you do when you leave, don't look back. We're going to see why today. But she looked back and what happened? She turned into a pillar of salt. And I believe that was God's grace. Because she was about to go back. We'll see that as we move on here. Praise the Lord. Okay. Now, we can get into chapter 18. Then he spoke a parable to them that men might always to pray and not lose heart. The word to not lose heart is to not give in to evil or collapse under pressure. It doesn't just mean have a bad day. It means to collapse under pressure. So he spoke a parable to them that men ought to always to pray and not lose heart. There's a connection between those. If you have no prayer life, you're going to lose heart. Remember in the garden when Jesus told us, the disciples to wait and pray for him, watch and pray, Peter, James, and John, and he went and went through his greatest trial, his, his, his spiritual battle, and three times in Matthew's account, he came back to them and they kept falling asleep. He told them to watch and pray so that they would not enter into temptation. Your daily prayer life is what keeps you in contact with God so that He can strengthen you each day. Men ought to always pray and not lose heart or give up. And the reason for this is, is once you become a Christian, I don't want to shock you or discourage you, but you become a target for Satan. You and I are involved in a spiritual war. Ephesians 6 verse 10 talks about this spiritual warfare. And the things that are going wrong in your life, the people that are causing you so much trouble, they're not, they're not the source of it. They're just weapons. They're weapons in the hands of Satan and his demons because you, because you're part of Christ's body, are a threat. So what he has to do is to keep you in what he calls your place. 
And we're going to talk about that today. What it is that comes against us so that we don't finish our race. Because the title of this message is Finishing Strong. Finishing Strong. So look at this parable. That's what we're talking about this morning. He said, there's a certain, in the city, a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God nor regard men. He didn't respect man. He had no respect for God, no respect for man. I've met some of those judges. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, give me justice from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterwards he said within himself, though I don't fear God, And I don't regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest her continual coming weary me. Let's bring it down to our language. What he's saying is, I'm not going to give in, I'm not going to do what she wants because I'm such a good guy, because I care anything about her, or I care anything about serving God or doing what's right in God's eyes. She's, this woman's bugging me and annoying me, and to get her off my back, I'm going to do what she asks. Now he's going to bring this parable over and talk about prayer and God, and you can misunderstand this, and I will, this is why I'm going through this for you this morning. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. Say, unjust. So Jesus is not using this judge as an example of what you should do. He's not using this judge as an example of what God's like, because God's not unjust. God doesn't, God respects man, loves man. So He's not using this judge as an example of God. He's using this story as an example of persistence and not quitting. Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall, I, shall God not avenge His own elect who cry out day and night to Him, though He bears long with them? In other words, if this unjust judge, who doesn't fear God, doesn't honor God, an ungodly man who has no caring for this widow, will do what she says just because of her persistence. How much more will God, who is righteous, who is holy, who has chosen you, the elect, who loves you, how much more will He take care of you as if you persist in Him? Because there's a battle that goes on. I love to tell you that every time you pray and ask God for something, we talked about this Wednesday night, immediately the answer shows up. But it doesn't work that way many times. Because you have an adversary. You have to understand that we are living in a world that God is not the God of this world. Satan is the God of this world. Man was given lordship over this world in the Garden of Eden, and he gave it away to Satan. He gave his authority away to Satan in chapter 3. God came to get it back by sending the second Adam, Jesus, to do what the first Adam didn't do, which is to be obedient and to be faithful. So now everyone that comes, it comes into the body of Christ, everyone that gets saved, everyone that now comes into the body of Christ changes kingdoms. Colossians 1.13 says that we have been, talking to believers, we have been delivered from the dominion, the domain of darkness, Satan, and transferred over into the kingdom of His beloved Son. And so spiritually, you and I don't belong to this world anymore, but we're living in this world. We're in this world, but not of this world. And we're in this world so that He can have an influence in this world to bring His truth, His light, and His salvation to the darkness that's in this world. That's why we're here. So we have an adversary. He doesn't care about you. 
He doesn't care about me. He cares about the Word of God, and we'll see that today, that's in you, because it's the Word of God, it's the calling of God, it's the purpose of God in you that can destroy His kingdom. And that's what's the threat to Him. And so there is opposition. So the point here is this, is that we're to pray and to not lose heart, not to give in. Understand this, and I have gone through some of the most the most incredible battles lately that I've ever gone through in 38 years of, of, of walking with the Lord because the pressure's on that if I'll quit, if I'll give in, everything else God wants to do, he, it's not that the church needs me, but right now everybody has a crucial position and the devil will be after you to get you to step out of that position, which is why we need to pray for one another. Oh, I better move on because I'll get sidetracked here. Verse 8 is where I wanted to get to. I tell you that He will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, and this is the question, and this is what we're talking about. When the Son of Man comes, this is what we're talking about, will He really find faith on the earth? Now the word really is not in the Greek, so most of the other translations say, when the Son of Man comes, is He going to find faith on the earth? And this is Jesus asking the question. And the word faith does not just mean walking in faith, it means faithful. Is he going to find people that have been faithful to him? Faithful to do what he said to do. Faithful to the end. So let's go, let's look at somebody that did that. Again, not lose heart means to give in to evil, to give up, to fall apart. Okay, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we're going to look at a man who was faithful. And we're going to look at the end of his ministry and what he says as his advice to his son in the Lord. And obviously this is Paul. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to start there. There's so much in here. I charge you. He's talking to the pastor of a church, his son in the faith, I, knowing what's coming. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead, that's what we've been talking about, at His appearing and His kingdom. And here's what you're to do. Preach the Word. In fact, in my graduation from Rainbow Bible Training College, the, the keynote address was those two words. Preach the Word. Preach the Word. Brother Hagen was faithful through all of his 50 plus years of ministry to preach the Word. Never changed. He didn't go with some new doctrine. He didn't go some with new custom. He preached the same Word. The same Word. And this is what I've endeavored to do and will continue to have endeavored to do. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. When it's popular and when it's not popular. When I started in ministry, it was popular. Back in the 80s, as Pastor Smucker said when he was there, it was easy to start a church. I mean, this church just exploded. But nowadays it's different because the Word's not popular. Oh, it may be popular in here, but out there it's not popular. Preach the Word in season. When it's popular, out of season. When it's not. And you don't hear much about this. Notice the first thing he says. Convince or convict, that word means. Rebuke. A pastor's responsibility is to convict... Rebuke. Exhort. We like that. That's what we're getting today. With all long suffering and teaching. 
what teaching does, teaching breaks the scriptures down so that we can understand them and take it out the door and apply it in our lives. Preaching is important because preaching motivates us. Preaching wakes us up. Preaching, preaching encourages us when we need exhorting. But teaching breaks it down so that we can understand it with our mind and grasp it with our heart and take it out into that world in our own life and apply it. So all of these are necessary. And Okay. Why is he encouraging that to do that? For the time will come when they, the people of God, will not endure sound doctrine. Boy, are we living in that age today. Amen. They won't endure. They won't put up with sound doctrine. Part of why we talked about last week, we talked to Paul says to the Corinthian church, I, 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 couldn't, I, I can't feed you meat. And we talked about that last week. But I've got to keep feeding you milk. Because milk, although Peter talks about milk is the milk of the word is what we grow thereby, but milk is what gets you started in your spiritual life. And I like a glass of milk every once in a while. But if all I ever have is milk, I'm not going to be very healthy. But then you grow to the place where what you need to grow and sustain your health of your body is solid food. In fact, if I remember correctly, what our kids and even our grandkids is the joyful day when they start eating, you know, baby food because now they're going to sleep longer in between waking up. <laughs> and when you're a young parent and that baby, because I remember with twins, <laughs> that first month or so, I never went four hours without having to do something with them. But uh, they were worth the investment, praise God. Anyway, we won't go there. Okay. Praise the Lord. Where was I before I interrupted myself? Oh yeah, preach the word. Okay. Go back and preach the word, John. They will not endure sound doctrine. See, people will love, they love milk, especially with some chocolate sauce in it. You know, a little ice cream in it. I'm making it more palatable, right? Yeah, we like that because our taste buds say, wow, that's good, I want to have more of that. But if you take a child and let them eat what they want to eat, what are they going to eat? Ice cream, milkshakes, candy, all the stuff that has a nice treat, but it's not what causes them to grow strong and healthy. The same is true spiritually. And I share with you, this church isn't for everybody, because my calling is to, is to serve meat. And if you're still young in the faith and all you can do is, is get some juice out of it, that's fine. But, but if it's hard, meat is things that are hard to receive but they're good for us. Brussels sprouts, although I like those now. Spinach, although I love spinach. Lima beans, I even love those now. Those are all foods I hated as a child, but I've learned to love them, not just because of what they, what they, what they do for my body, but you can change your tastes. You can change. Before I was saved, I learned to drink some things that didn't taste good and developed a taste for them. And since I got saved, I put away all that stuff, but I've learned to, tr to eat things from the Word of God. In fact, I enjoy those things more out of the Word of God in many ways than I do the things that say, you know, everything's nice, God loves you and exhorts you, because I know it's going to cause me to grow. It's going to cause me to grow. Okay. Look at this. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They won't want it. But according to their own desires. This is why you've got to go to a church 
and not just sit home and watch it on TV. Because on TV you can pick what you want. Sitting here, you can go to sleep. You can count the tiles in the ceiling. You can look at the, you know, the dandruff from the person in front of you. But you're going to hear it <laughs> as long as you sit here. They cannot endure sound doctrine. Why? But according to their own desires. This is why you can't be led by your desires. Because a child will eat what tastes good. This is the example he's using here. An adult, one of the signs of an adult is I know I need to eat food that's good for me and not eat so much of that stuff that tastes good but isn't so good for me. Because what will they do? Because having itching ears. What's an itching ear? Well, you know what an itch is like. You know when the mosquitoes come out and they bite you. You know what an itch is like. It's something that's, that's, that's got your attention that you're trying to scratch and reach and you're trying to, because it's driving you somewhere. And you can have ears. Ears are what you're open to hear. Ears are what you're listening to. Notice, their ears are led by their own desires. And because they have itching ears, which means they're, 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 they have to be, they have to be ple- their ears have to be pleased or satisfied. Because you know when you finally hit that spot and you go, oh, ah. it's satisfied at desire of my flesh, a need of my flesh. Look what they will do. They will heap up for themselves teachers. They will pick and choose. I like what this one teaches. I like what that teaches. That's like a child in a buffet. That's like a child in a buffet that goes... It was interesting because on this cruise they had, they had the, buff, the, the buffets, you know. And you could see the children go to the other end of the buffet. And I was tempted a time or two, but I didn't. Because you can just go to the other end of the buffet and you can skip all the good stuff and just eat the good stuff. <laughs> and you can, what's interesting is to watch adults, you know, who probably would never do this at home, coming back with plates of cake and cheesecake and their plates just piled on with stuff you know hopefully they don't do that at home but they heap up for themselves teachers verse 4 and they will turn their ears away from the truth you and I are living in an age when truth according to I think it's Ezekiel says has fallen in the street it's not respected, it's not sought after, in many cases it's denied. And what people do with truth often is not just deny it, they'll change it. Spin it is the term that's used now. We're going to do a series on that. They will turn their... Notice God hasn't done any of this. This is what we do to ourselves. Turn their ears away from tr- the truth and turn aside to fables. I was meditating on that word today. And what that word in Greek means is a myth, M-Y-T-H. What's a fable? This is what I had written in my Bible. A fable is a man-made story that has a lesson in it. Remember Esau's fables? It's a man-made story in it that has a lesson, and therefore because it has a lesson in it, it appears as truth. And people love it. But it's not God's truth. God's Word 
The Bible calls it is inspired. That means it's God breathed. Christian books are wonderful. I read them all the time. But they're no substitute for this. For this is God's breathing His truth and His life into you every time you open it and receive it to the degree you're open to receive it. A book about the Bible is good information. But this is God breathing into you His life. Jesus talked in John chapter 16 is if you want to be my disciple, you have to eat my body and drink my blood. And that caused a lot of people to walk away because they didn't understand that. And he wasn't talking about cannibalism. Uh, he wasn't even fully talking about communion service. He was talking about taking him in because he is the word, taking him into your heart and into your life so that he becomes a part of you and a part of your life and a part of your heart. I was meditating on a, what a fable is. Fables are popular because, again, they, they, tell, they tell a truth, but it's man's, man's interpretation of what some good ethical truth is. And then all of a sudden, I was getting ready to come here, and the Lord just dropped a great example into me. Remember the story of the three little pigs? Anybody else remember? The three little pigs. Don't be embarrassed. <laughs> the three little pigs and the wolf. And the wolf said, I'm going to eat you. I'm going to have some bacon and some ham for breakfast. And so they, they all decided to build their own house. And one of them built it of straw. I don't remember. And the other built it of sticks. And then one built it of bricks. Right? Remember? And so remember the story? The, the wolf goes to the one that built it with hay and says, I will... And, and that pig was hiding in there. And he says, I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. And he went... And the house fell apart because it was only made of straw. So that little pig ran around and ran to his brother's house because he's made his house of sticks. And the same thing, I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. Bet you didn't know you were going to come and hear about the three little pigs this morning. <laughs> and he blows that house down. Those two run around and they hide with their brother because he made his house of bricks. And he huffs and he puffs and he can't blow a house down. That's, that's, that's a great little story. It's an example of this. It's, 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 a little, it's not exactly a fable because it's too short, but it's the exact time. And so we love that story. It teaches a great principle that you've got to build your house of something solid. Okay? Sounds great. And I was thinking about that, and I remember what Jesus said, what the Word said. He talked about two men that build houses. But they didn't use different building materials. They both used the same building materials as in Matthew 7, and the same plan. And in one case, it wasn't the wolf that huffed and puffed. A storms of life came, and the house didn't collapse but it fell down. And the house that was built, the other house, survived the storm because the difference between the two was what they were built on, not how... I never taught this in my life. Not how they were built. And this is where man's reasoning can take a good principle and miss God's truth. Because, oh... Oh, Lord, thank you. I've never... This is, this is exploding in me. So bear with me a little bit. In the world today, humanism is all based on how you build your life. Oh, oh, Lord, my goodness. I'm, this is good stuff. I wish I were sitting out there listening to myself. Oh, I love it when this happens. 
Humanism, the philosophy of the world, says it's how you build your life that determines how you're going to survive. If you get the right education, and you get the right self-help, and you get the right self-image, and you get the right self this and the right self that, you can build a life for yourself that's solid against the storms. So the world says what was wrong with the first two pigs is they didn't build their own life the right way. Oh. God says, it doesn't matter what you do with your life, it's the foundation you build it on that makes the difference. The house that was destroyed had the same building materials of the house that survived. The house that was destroyed was built on sand. The house that was survived was built on the rock. And Jesus said that rock is those who hear the word and do the word. Put that scripture back up. So what happens is, now go, and they will turn their ears away from the truth. Matthew 7 is the truth. God breathes. That if you hear this word and you apply this word in, my, in your life, you will be building your life on something that's solid. So when the wolf comes to blow your house down, it's going to stand because it's built on a solid foundation, which is Christ, which is the word. That's what God says to build your life on. Fables are the three little pigs. Ooh, 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 ooh. So here's the danger. Fables sound true. Internally, fables look like truth. If you don't know this word, you don't know the difference. I remember 30 years ago, we were in school. Oh, I got to move on. And, and remember Sung Young Moon? Remember he had the... And, and there was, he was going to marry... 10,000 couples into, what was it called? What's his religion called? Unification Church. Thank you. And I watched him being, I watched his number two, one number one assistant being interviewed on Nightline by Ted Koppel. Some of you remember who he is. And I just thought, look, I'm going to pretend I don't know anything about him. I'm just a Bible student, and I want to hear if I can discern whether he's telling truth or not. It, and I'm in, I'm in second year Bible school, learning the Bible. It took 10 minutes of his talking before I heard something didn't line up with this. Everything made sense. Talked about loving one another. It talked about all kinds of good things until finally he said something that had to do with Christ that violated this word. So we're talking about being ready. We're talking about finishing our, 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 our journey strong. And what Satan comes at you, this is the whole point of today's message, Satan comes at you with things to distract you and to destroy you and to get your ears to listen to things that are fables, but they're not truth. And there are a lot of fables out there right now, in the church and outside of the church. All right, go to verse 5. We've got to move on. We could stay there. But be watchful. He's alerting them. He's talking to the pastor. Be watchful in all things. So whatever you're going through, be watchful. Realize what's going on. Endure afflictions. So we're going to look at some things that come against you to pull you off track, to deceive you and him and us. Endure afflictions. So that, he didn't say they won't come. Endure them. 
Come through them. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Now he's going to talk about himself. Verse 6. This is Paul who'd been through stuff you and I'll never go through. For I am already, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. In other words, my life is being poured out. The drink offering was part of the Old Testament uh, method of worship. And it was they'd take a fire and they would take a, a, a drink that they would bring, a special drink, and they would pour it on the offering. So it was giving out of something. And it refers to... Any, the Bible uses cup as a, as a, as a, uh, as, as a uh, symbol of your life, of what's inside of you. And he says, I've poured out myself. i poured out everything I am as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. Verse 7. And this is what I want you to get through. This is Paul's testimony. I have fought the good fight. You're in a fight. You're in a fight. And if you don't know you're in a fight, you're losing. And don't know you're losing. You're in a fight. You may not like it. I don't like it. There are times I want to put my head under the pillow and pretend it's not there. I want to sleep two hours later or just sleep for the whole day. I've had some days I say, I'm not getting up today. I'm going to sleep. I'm going to miss this day. So I can't do that. And, and I found, though, that when I, when I get and fight, there's energy. When I get and fight the good fight, there's the Spirit of God in me moving to fight. But if I'm lying in bed trying to hide from it, that's, He's not anointed me to do that. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. We just saw what Jesus says. When I come back, am I going to find faith on the earth? Am I going to find my church, my body, faithful to what I call them to do? Am I going to find them strong? Am I going to find them strong in their faith? There's laid up... Go ahead, next verse. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. This is what motivated him. This is what we talked about last week. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me in that day. That's wonderful, Paul. Oh, but not only to me, but also to those who have loved his appearing, who are look forwarding forward to his appearing. All right, what's all this mean? We've got to kind of begin to bring it into focus. Paul's testimony is, I've fought the good fight. I've kept the faith, and he's receiving as a reward his crown. So that tells us, puts us on notice that there are things of weapons of the enemy that come at us in this fight to get us to quit. That's all he wants you to do is to quit. All he's after is to get you to quit. He's very good at it, but, but the Bible tells us what his weapons are. The Bible tells us how, how he will come at you. So we have no excuse to not be ready. Okay. So one of the things is we already looked at fables. Truth, it's not truth. He'll distract us. It's a wonderful old book by Paul Bunyan called the, John Bunyan called The um, Pilgrim's Progress. And it's been a while since I've read it, but there's a place near the end. It's all about him getting closer and closer to the celestial city, closer and closer to that city, to the reward. And the closer he gets to it, the more opposition he gets, and the trickier he gets. Things are thrown at him to distract him, to knock him off the course. At first they're just through his own flesh, but then they begin to just, they're clearly weapons formed against him to get him to quit. So he tries to distract us, he tries to discourage us, because he's trying to get us to quit. Tell you you can't make it. 
you don't have enough. There's not enough in you. Everybody look at me. Say, I love Jesus. Ah, I tricked you, didn't you? <laughs> All right. Pastor John won't get you through it. Jesus will get you through it. All right. So what do we do? Let's go to Matthew 13. Let's see what these weapons are. We don't have time to go there, but in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, The weapons of our warfare are our warfare, are not carnal, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. But, G, but the devil's weapons are common to man. He has no temptation which he's put against you, which is not common to man. He, 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 his, his weapons are not powerful. Remember I said earlier, when you came to Christ, you were transferred out of His dominion into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. The only part of us that's still functioning here is our body and our soul. So the kingdom of God is in you. The power of God, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, is in you. You are a powerhouse. One of the words in Greek is, you're a dynamo. You're an atomic bomb ready to go off and destroy Satan's kingdom and his strongholds. But we, we look at who we are through the circumstances of our life and through our bad experience because we haven't renewed our mind to what the Bible, to the Word says about us, not who other people have said we are and what we can do. Okay. So here's some of the examples in here. We're going to pick up in verse 18. This is the parable of the sower, and he's talking about Satan's devices to steal the Word. Then here there are the parable of the sower. If anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches what is sown in his heart, so he doesn't even receive. This is the seed that falls by the wayside. He who received the seed on stony ground is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Praise God, hallelujah. That's wonderful, Pastor. I can't wait to do that. Yet he has no root in himself, never matured, but endures for a while. For when tribulation, that's trouble, or persecution arises. Look at this. Because of the Word. Satan has nothing personal against you or me. It's the Word in you that he's threatened by. Because that is God's Word from God's lips. With the power of God, the love of God, the, 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 all of the kingdom of God backing that up. The same power that raised Christ from the dead out of the place of hell and brought Him alive into life. The same power that created the universe, the Big Bang, with His words, let there be. That power is what He's after in you. And He uses pressure. He uses tribulation. That's just a fancy word for trouble. People don't like you at work. You're, 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 you know, the bottom's falling out of your finances. You're dealing with sickness and disease. Those are weapons. Some of them we've contributed to. Some of them we've opened the door to. But don't get hung up on that. Don't get hung up on why it's come. Get, find out what to do to get out of it. For when tribulation or persecution comes, arises because of the Word, someone that does not have that Word deeply in their heart stumbles. Verse 22. Now he who receives the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, hears other things. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So we're talking about what Satan throws against you so that you stumble, so that you don't finish your race, your fight, 
so that you don't win your fight, that you don't finish your course with joy, is tribulation, persecution, and here are the more subtle ones, the cares of this world. Remember I mentioned at the beginning, we didn't read it, but in the, in the parable that Jesus talked about in Matthew 17, He says, when the Son of Man comes, when this comes, it's going to be quick. He said, if you're, if you're, if you're on the rooftops taking a, you know, getting a, your suntan, you know, don't rush down to get your wallet. Don't rush down to get your favorite bracelet or, or necklace. Don't rush down to get your, you know, your, your safe deposit key. Because all of that's staying here. The cares of this world. We don't have time to go over there, but in Matthew 6, he talks about the, what the heart seeks after. And, and he talks about, you know, we, we spend time doing that when we talked about the heart itself. And he says, you know, he said, he says, don't, don't allow, you can't serve God in things. Doesn't mean you can't have things, but you can't serve them. Because you serve something with your heart. And then he goes into this discussion that seems like it doesn't apply. He says, you know, therefore, which means it does tie back to what he just said, therefore, he said, do not be anxious about what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat. In other words, the things of this world. Don't be, doesn't, he doesn't say don't plan for them. He's not saying don't make provision. He's not saying don't be involved in them. But don't come to the place because when you worry about them, you've given your heart over to them. You've given them a place in your heart that belongs to God. And the problem is, under pressure, you'll follow what's in your heart. Sitting in church is one thing. Because in church we're filled with good intentions, and there, that's a good start. But what your heart is given over to is what you will go to under pressure. I've been spending more and more time just in my seeking God with my heart, just in loving Him, just in spending time with Him, just in acknowledging who He is and what He's done with my life. And I got such an assault yesterday, I'm not even going to go into what it was, I don't want to give the devil credit. And I was, I mean, I was, I was at my end, and all of a sudden what came out of my heart is, bless the Lord at all times. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise, see I've hidden that word in my heart. I will bless the Lord at all times. I will bless the Lord at all times. It's easy in church. I'll bless the Lord at all times. When the sun's out, when we haven't seen the sun for months. I'll bless the Lord when all hell's breaking loose against me. I'll bless the Lord when I'm just coasting and just everybody loves me and things are nice. I'll bless the Lord at all times. But I hid that word in my heart. And as I began to speak that word out, faith began to rise in my heart. And I began to stand up and walk around my house and say, no devil, I'm not giving into this. I'm not going to give you the honor of even being the time to pay attention to what you're trying to do here. Uh, God is my God. He is my Savior. He is my strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I will, I, I will finish my course with joy. The word of God just began to pour out of my heart. And by the time I was done with that, my whole atmosphere changed. But that's where my heart's been seeking. That's what I've been treasuring. I've been treasuring God's Word. Not perfectly, but I've been treasuring God's Word. Treasuring God's Word. And then he gives the key in verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things. It's not that you're going to go without, but don't worry. When you worry about them, you're seeking them above God. You're saying, God, you can't take care of me. 
God, they're more important to me. In other words, if I had to lose my car or God, if I had to lose my job or God, if I had to lose my house and ended up on the street or God, It's easy to sit in church and say, well, obviously it's God. It's different when you're sitting in the curb. And the neighbors are peeking out of the window saying, what's wrong with them? I thought they were Christians. Well, suddenly, everybody at work turns against you, and you don't know why. Your job or God. It's what you're seeking day by day that your heart's attached to. And we're sharing this because as this time comes near to the end, whether it's during our lifetime or not, there's pressure. And I be- one of the reasons I believe we're getting near is the pressure's increased. And it's not just me. I've talked to people in this church. Marriages are under pressure. Finances are under pressure. I've talked to other preachers. I've been hearing statistics that nowadays only one out of every ten preachers retires from the pastorate. The rest quit. Pressure. 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 Give up. Divorce rates equal to or higher than the church than the world. Divorce rate among ministers. Alcoholism among them. Pressure. Because they learn to turn to the things of the world to try to alleviate the pressure instead of to the word of God. To the word of God. Now don't worry, I'm not there. <laughs> I've determined, come hell or high water, and they both come already, I'm going to finish my course. Because I made a decision a long time ago, Lord, if I have to die doing this, I'm willing to do that. Doesn't mean it doesn't get tested. And it's a lot easier standing up here with you going, yeah, to say that. It's another thing at two in the morning. The whole purpose of today is to understand that the devil wants to distract you, destroy your testimony, pull you off track so that you don't finish your course. Let's go over quickly to uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 35. He's just talked to people that have had all their things taken away from them because of persecution. We're not going to go back over that, but he says, you know, you joyfully endured your goods being taken. Their houses were taken away from their possessions. It was persecution for being a Christian, for doing what was right. Therefore, verse 35, do not cast away your confidence, which has a great reward. Satan's after your confidence. He wants to discourage you with condemnation. You don't have enough. You're not going to make it. Look at how you failed this week. Look at what you did wrong. It's all a weapon. Condemnation is a weapon to discourage you. Paul says, I'm strong in the Lord and the power of His might. He didn't say I'm strong. He said, we have this, we have this gift, this glory in earth and vessels so that the surpassing glory may be of God and not of us. Satan wants to get your eyes on you and how you fail, and how you're not qualified, and how you're not. 
Just give up and say, yes, that's right. Apart from Christ, I'm a failure. Apart from Christ, I'm, I'm a mess, just like you are. We're, we're all, we all need the cross. But we have the cross. We're not apart from Christ. Okay. You have need of endurance, verse 36. You have need of endurance. You have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise, the reward. For yet in a little while, he who is coming will come and he will not tarry or delay. But the just, now the just shall live by faith. Make it through our life by faith. And if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we're not of those who draw back to perdition or destruction, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. And now he goes into the famous chapter 11, which is all called the Hall of Fame of Faith. And it's nothing but examples of men and women in the Bible who have lived by faith and as a result of living by faith have overcome all the obstacles Satan threw against them and have, have received what they were believing for. But we're going to move down to verse 13. These all died in faith. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> well, you're going to die. We've talked about that already. Okay? But they died in faith. It's better to die in faith than not in faith not having received the promises. Well, wait a minute. I thought if you go back, they received the promises. Why? This is talking about a bigger promise, a greater promise, which is the reward. So they all came through the end of their race without having received the reward yet. They all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them, because faith is what allows you to see something from a distance. You It's not right in front of you right now. Having seen them from afar off, were assured of them. Remember he said, don't cast away your assurance were assured of them and embraced them by faith and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. These men and women of faith were not so in love with this world and the things of this world that when they lost the things of this world or things didn't work out the way they wanted to, that they gave up because their life was not invested in this world. It was invested in the kingdom of God which God had called them to. Verse 14. For all those who say such things declare plainly that they're seeking a homeland, a promise. This is the city that Paul talks about. This is the goal. This is the whole why I keep bringing you back. Understand, this time you have here is a hand's breadth, the Bible says. Whatever, the worst thing you're going through is compared to eternity, but how we handle it, our enduring it, our going through it, is determining everything for your eternal future. And so the devil wants you to keep your eyes on the here and now, and the Word of God is saying, by faith, have your eyes on the then and there for eternity. Verse 15. Now this is so important. We're going to have to end pretty soon. Truly, if they had called to mind, if they had remembered the country from which they'd come out of they would have had an opportunity to return. Remember, I I didn't read it, but I told you in Matthew 17, Jesus told His disciples, He says, when the sun comes, people better be careful, because if they're on the roof and they want to go down and get stuff that's important to them, they may miss it. Because that has a place in them. And the country we've come out of is the world. Because if they called to mind the place where they'd come out of, they would have had an opportunity 
to return to it. People don't backslide because they wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm walking away from God. It happens because of what they've been thinking about. It happens because under pressure, under pressure, they begin to revert to some of their old thinking patterns and their old ways of doing things by saying, you know, when I was in the world, at least I could go and release some steam and have a couple of beers with the guys and, you know, why can't I do that now that I'm a Christian? And I'm not going to get into that. It's where your heart is. It's, 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 it's where your heart is. It's what's after your heart. And under pressure, we're weaker. Which is why we need one another. Which is why in Hebrews it says, don't forsake the assembling together of yourselves. Not, don't forsake watching it on TV. I'm glad for people that watch it on TV. But it's coming together where we can strengthen one another. Under this pressure. You don't realize how often you strengthen me. Just, just by seeing you when I come here on Sunday morning. People just greeting me and me greeting you. Even during the message, sometimes you encourage me. <laughs> that was a joke. You do it often. <laughs> because the devil's device is this, to get you to think back on how good things used to be. Yeah, when you'd wake up in a drunk tank. Yeah, when you'd wake up in your own whatever. But that's what, Hebrew, that's what the Israelites did. They kept thinking about the leeks and the onions. They forgot the stripes from the taskmaster. They forgot the hard work. They forgot all of that. But they remembered how good things used to be. And by thinking about it, they eventually had the opportunity to return and God had to do some dramatic things so that they didn't go back into the world. We don't have a chance to go there. Verse 16. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He's prepared a city for them. The, the analogy here is we didn't go back and look at it. It talks about the people that live by faith. They lived in tents. And you've told me talk about that before. Tents, this, you know, canvas... They live in tents. But a tent has no foundation. Why? Because it's a temporary location. And the image here, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1, he talks about when I put off this tent. Because this life here is like living in a tent. Your body's like living in a tent. But there's prepared for us a city and a home, a mansion, a house with a solid foundation. That's our eternal destiny. And we have to learn to live in this life with our eyes on that. Generations ago, it was the other way around. They lived, spent all the time singing about, singing about the sweet by and by. So they were ho- so heavenly minded, they were no earthly good. But the pendulum swung back the other way. Where we're so earthly minded, we have no perspective on heaven and that we are eternal beings. And it is that perspective which you have to operate in by faith that will keep you from, from caving in under the pressure. Everybody okay? All right. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody in a fight right now? Six of you. Okay. Good. The rest of you can pray for us. No, you're more of you in a fight than you're willing to realize. There are battles for our marriages. There's battles for our health. There's battle. The devil wants to take you out. He couldn't keep you from getting saved, so he wants to keep you from being ineffective by keeping you distracted. And, and so that your goal is, oh God, if I can just survive. We're not survivors, we're overcomers. Yeah. Pastor Michael did a great series on that. We're not called to survive, we're called to overcome. 
Because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. But see, that word has been put in my heart. The word has been put in my heart, not just in church, but during the daytime for the last 38 years. Then finally, we'll quickly go to Hebrews 12. It talks about all these people that made it by going through by faith. Therefore, we also, now it's talking about us, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those that have gone before us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The weights refer to weights that they would put on their ankles in training. There was a famous tap dancer back in the 40s who was the fastest tap dancer. And what she would practice was she would put sandbags on her ankles and learn to practice. And, and those runners would tie weights around their feet, their ankles, in order to train so that when they actually went and ran the race, their feet felt much freer. It's like base, baseball players, when they go to, go to bat, they have the donut or whatever they put on it. It feels heavy so that when they get to the bat, in the batter's box, it feels light. Lay them aside, the things that are weighing you down and the sins that so easily beset us. And the image here is all these men, all these women that are, that are in the Bible, they're part of us. They're all part of us together. And they have finished their course. The image here is of a, of a oh my, the image here is, a, is of an of a, of a Olympic Games. And they finished their, it's, it's of a relay race. They finished their lap. But they didn't go home. They're sitting in the stands rooting us on so that we'll finish. Why? Because they have a stake in what you and I do just as we have a stake in what they've done for us. In fact, I think it's in, Paul says to Timothy, one of, he says, they, they, one of, somebody said it. They, they, he says, you know, I forgot what they said. <laughs> you are part of something bigger than yourself bigger than Faith Christian Center, bigger than the church that's here now. And how we finish our course, how we finish it is critical. We may well be, we may well be the, 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 the last leg of the race. We may be actually coming down the finish line and that, 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 that barrier, that, that stripe is there, that ribbon's there and we got to go all out towards it regardless of what comes against you. Finish that course for how you finish it will have an immense impact on your life in eternity and how your life is lived. God's not going to be angry at you, but the rewards. And you're looking on this side, it's like, yeah, that's not a big deal. It will be for eternity because God's got some good rewards. We have to end here. Praise God. Father, we pray and thank you today for your word. And we just trust, Father, that the word breathed into our hearts today will take root. And those that are facing trials today as they go into this week, may you bring this word back by your spirit, Father. May you bring this word back by your spirit, Father, to encourage them and to strengthen them, to know they're not alone in this battle, but your spirit goes with them and is in them and that others are around them to help pick them up and help us to encourage one another, Lord, and not criticize others that may be stumbling but pick them up and help them to finish the race with us. We thank you for your grace to do these things. In Jesus' name.